Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Maharaj Ganj, Eastern Uttar Pradesh, 1991. What you have to remember is that Ajay was just a boy, eight years old and malnourished, barely literate, watchful inside the sockets of his eyes. His family was poor, wrapped by poverty, living hand to mouth in a hut patched with dried grass and plastic sheets and raised ground above the floodplain by the years of Sarkanda beyond the shadow edge of the village. Father and mother, manual scavengers both, scraping shit from the village's dry latrines with slate and hand, bearing wicker baskets on heads to be dumped on further ground, pissing and shitting in the fields before dawn, pissing off to dark, growing meager leafy vegetables in the filthy runoff, drinking water from the brackish distant well so as not to pollute the common source, knowing their limits so as not to invite death upon themselves. Ajay's mother, Rupa, is pregnant again. His eldest sister, Hema, tends to their goat. This is Eastern UP, 1991. The foothills of Nepal rise in the north. The moon is visible long after dawn. Before Ajay took a breath, he was already mourned. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Dipti Kapoor grew up in northern India and worked for several years as a journalist in New Delhi. She's the author of the novel Bad Character, and today I'm joined by Deepti Kapoor to talk about her new novel, Age of Vice. Deepti, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thanks for having me. Now that last line, before Ajay took a breath, he was already mourned. It's a haunting, prescient phrase too. Ajay, your main character, is born into a society of extremes of wealth and poverty. Ajay exists pretty much at the bottom of that social hierarchy, Ordinarily, what might the prospects be of a boy born into that strata of society in India? Terrible. Uh, he would go to a school in the, his village and uh, where he wouldn't get properly educated. And because of his extremely, Ajay comes from, uh, you know, he's a Dalit. He's he even comes from outside the caste system. He's, he's really at the bottom of the hierarchy, the caste hierarchy. Um, and that would determine all his his choices in life. But I mean, not that he would have many choices. He wouldn't be able to have an occupation or be able to do what he wants to do because his caste would uh, predetermine what he does. So he'd probably end up being what his parents did, which is cleaning latrines. And he would um, have to marry um, someone who is from a similar caste eat with people from a similar caste, he'd be discriminated against. And even if he did manage, the only kind of escape I could see for someone like Ajay is if he left, if he left his village, if he moved to the city and there he could find work. The anonymity of the city would maybe give him a chance to find work. And again, he would find work as a as probably a, in construction, cook, uh, waiter. Um, so, I mean, life wouldn't be good. Ajay is no ordinary person, though. He's, um, well, he's a very complex character. On one hand, he's a perfectionist, extremely talented, learns very quickly. He's also shy. 
But he's about to embark on this journey that uh, will really expose him to the harsh realities of life in India. What's his journey like? He's an untouchable and he, uh, yeah, it's not just a life of servitude. It's a life of, uh, yeah, extreme uh, discrimination. It's a life that's predetermined for you in many ways, which, as I said before. So he's he's really at the bottom of this Indian um, social hierarchy and with very few chances to escape it. Ajay's father's tragic death and the fact that his mother has to send him away uh, to pay off the family debt, in a way you could say that frees him from his um, his caste identity. And he goes on to work uh, on a farm in the Himalayas, in a small town there, um, with... Um, a couple who works for a couple who are actually not very cruel to him. They're quite kind. I mean, they they still don't pay him. But um, and eventually he he pick, because he's as you said he's very smart and talented. He picks up uh, languages quickly. There's um it's a backpacker town, so he gets to meet quite a lot of foreigners. He gets to understand the ways of the world, and eventually he finds himself in the employment of um, Sunny um, Sunny Vadia, who is. Um, the only son and heir to this massive and mysterious fortune in northern India. Um, Sunny is vacationing with some friends in a cafe when he sees Ajay in the Himalayas and he offers him a job. Ajay makes his way to Delhi and eventually finds his, himself uh, first in Sunny's house as a cleaner and then he gets keeps getting promoted and becomes kind of his his man who does you know, chauffeur, butler, bodyguard, and um, his loyalty. And and through Sonny, he finds uh, some kind of identification. The loss of his father and his family life at such an early age means that Ajay is always looking for comfort and security and uh, above everything else. And his loyalty to Sonny eventually proves to be his undoing. Ajay actually seems to embrace this life of service and, and through it, He's trying to find his identity in one way or another. Does he find his identity, his true identity, through his connection with Sunny Wadia and the Wadia family? Without giving much away, um, I will say that he finds some kind of identity uh, with Sunny because um, Sunny is this mysterious young man who's in Delhi. He's has a lot of money. He's you know flashing his money around. He's got a whole coterie of friends. He's um, a patron of the arts, you know, and and Ajay is in the same room with um, Sunny and his friends. So even if he doesn't um, feel that he belongs to their social group, he's still in that social group, and he finds he finds a sense of um, comfort and security, uh, and that is basically uh, easily exploited by Sunny. With again, I'm not going to say what happens, um, but. Um, I suppose his loyalty is uh, is is what leads to you know what happens to him later, which proves to be quite tragic. But Ajay moves well beyond that dedicated service and loyalty to Sunny Wadia to become what's called a chela. What is a chela? It means follower. You know, someone who just follows you around. Who's like a he's so loyal. He'll just follow um, Sunny around and do whatever Sunny wants him to do. Again, it's because he almost starts to believe that he is a Sunny in Vadia. He's a Vadia man just by his association with Sunny. Um, and that also just all comes from the fact that Ajay has 
no one in his life. Um, he's, you know, after his mother sent him away, um, he has no one to call his own. So he is, he feels truly alone in the world, um, except for Sunny. Ajay even takes Sunny's name. He becomes Ajay Wadia. Yeah, he he fantasizes about this 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 person that he's becoming a Wadia man. What does it take to be a Wadia man in this story? A Wadia man can be many different things. Uh, so the Wadia family is this big business empire that exists in that gray area between uh, being you know, a legitimate and an illegitimate business in um, North India at the turn of the century uh, when fortunes were being rapidly made in this kind of new um, free-for-all economy when we, India was transitioning from a socialist economy to a capitalist one in the late 90s. Um, there was this period of, of time when very smart entrepreneurial people realized that they could make vast fortunes if they learned how to use the system correctly. And Bunti Vadia, the patriarch, is, is one of them, one of these people. And they, they control liquor, mining, all kinds of fortunes, all kinds of businesses, sorry, in North India. Um, they are, I, I would say they're a you could call them a criminal syndicate, but they're also legitimate businessmen because in India as well, or at least in North India, the mafia is not just, it's not on the other side of the law. It's uh, in many ways, it was indistinguishable with the law. And there was this connection between criminals and politicians, um, which was quite difficult to prove, but it, it was there. And um, and yeah, and so be, being a Vadia man means being tough, being a Vadia man means, means being loyal, uh, being a little bit corrupt, I would say. But then that's the thing. Ajay is not corrupt. He's, um, I would say, he's absolutely, at least in the beginning, incorruptible. He seems to be a fairly uncomfortable gangster, if you could call him a gangster. Yeah, I don't even think he uh, realizes in the beginning what kind of uh, family he's entering into. Um, and it's only later when he starts to get trained in uh, in protecting Sunny. So he's getting trained in in Krav Maga by an Israeli. He's uh, he's learning how to use firearms. That's I think there there is a realization that he works for dangerous people. And of course, then uh, again, I'm not going to give away what happens. Uh, you know that is his way back to his past. But I think he he doesn't understand how how dangerous they really are. And how getting tangled up in their affairs will will lead him to a point of, well, no return, I'd say. Well, he doesn't even seem to realise he's becoming a gangster in a sense. His sense of service and loyalty overrides or justifies the violence and the criminality of this new world. And he's so competent. Yeah, absolutely. And he's so competent at what he does. You know, it's like um, he he learns how to use a gun uh, easily and he has incredible um you know aim and he learns how to fight and he's just so incredibly loyal that uh, it's very hard for him to decide or make that choice is this right or is this wrong and of course that also comes from his his background his upbringing he hasn't had that um necessarily that education which is going to teach him that that this is not maybe the uh, the morally correct thing to do. So he can be led astray very easily. As the story progresses, Ajay embraces his status as a Wadia man 
and of course finds himself compromised in so many ways because of that and none more so than when the character of Neda enters the story. You know, Nether's comes from the most normal background, someone whose people can identify with. Um, she's young, curious, a little bit naive. Um, her parents are intellectuals, uh, somewhat bohemian um, family. They live in a very uh, posh address in Delhi, an address that speaks of great connections. And their wealth is waning. So she represents that old money uh, elite whose power was being eclipsed by the kind of coarse new money that Sonny's family represents and has they this is the new country this belongs to us so now this character I, I wanted to show how all of this was happening in Delhi at the time despite everything though despite all his wealth and power Sonny still wants to impress Nether you know she's still unreachable in a way and unattainable and that is of course the reason that they embark on this sort of doomed uh, secret romance. And um, also through her character, um, I wanted to explore the idea of complicity and compromise, um, because Neda is uh, a person who, unlike Ajay, knows what's right and wrong. She's had all the incredible education and upbringing, and she still um, makes choices that are extremely morally dubious. At this point of time, I, I was a journalist in Delhi in my 20s, and I gave some, uh, Nether some of my working life and my driving around the city. And also this idea of the questioning the compromises that the privileged in India uh, often make with their morality in order to just live very comfortable lives. You know that the poor are going to be compromising with their dignity to live, to survive. But um, people like Neda are also compromising with their morality constantly. And, and that was something I wanted to explore through her character as well. She's young and she's foolish and she makes very stupid choices. And then she pays the consequences for them. There seems to be a lot of uh, accounting for the consequences of your actions in this book for lots of characters. And there's some really interesting ones too. This Vicky G, who is Sonny's uncle. And now there's a character that you probably wouldn't want to meet. And another one, the despicable Gautam Rator, a similar class that you were talking about before uh, for Neda, a sort of nobility, asset rich, cash poor, I think you label them. Yeah, uh, Gautam Rator is a um, great character. I, I love him. I mean, he, he's so depraved and so deliciously depraved. He comes from extremely high nobility, the kind of ex-royals, um, who ruled India for centuries, but then after independence saw their lands stripped away from them and their titles, but still kind of maintained their, their sense of themselves as, as Maharajas or and, you know, kings and queens. And, and his father becomes a politician um, because um, he rightly predicts that politicians will be the new kings in this new India. Uh, Gotham, on the other hand, is, you know, he's 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 just not very interested in doing the right thing. He's interested in corrupting people. He's a he's a debauched royal. This character that you expect someone like him um, to just keep uh, fucking up and <laughs> and getting away with it. So everyone else pays the price for Gotham's fuck ups. He seems to have uh, an enormous appetite for cocaine. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's it's insatiable. It's his fuel, it seems, <laughs> in every aspect of his life. 
The vampire. <laughs> yes, the vampire. Yeah. And there's yeah. something really beautiful about the way you write, Deepti. There's a beautiful simplicity to the language you use. Uh, and I like how the Hindi words and, and phrases are always explained in one way or another. I don't have to dash off to Google and find out what you mean. Um, and it's, it makes, it's almost like the two languages are merging in this book. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you you appreciate that because I was very keen to not um, just make this a book which was written for Westerners or Europeans, Americans, Australians that um, uh, didn't take into account the fact that as Indians, you know, we, we of course we you know we learn English of a certain class at a very early age. But, you know, our speech has always been inflected with, you know, Hindi. And I wanted to bring some of that colloquialism to the writing itself without explaining it. Um, so that was a challenge. Can I can I do that? Can I pepper the, the, the sentences with Hindi words, which people will just go with and, and you will understand later? And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you think I succeeded. No, you definitely do. And sometimes you translate the word, but other times uh, the meaning of the word is found in the text or the text that follows. Another beautiful aspect to this book is the storytelling itself. It's quite seamless. Uh, we just move as if we're in just one steady stream of living that RJ undertakes. And along the way, he encounters all these different people which, who have positive or negative effects on his life. Do you have any models in storytelling, authors or cultures even, that have influenced your work and your style of storytelling? Just for the sheer breadth and the way he could tackle um, multiple themes, um, I, I love Roberto Bolaño's 2666. It's about Mexico and violence and crimes against women, but then it's also about everything. It's about the country. And, and, I, and I just thought that was a great model because it allowed me to think of Age of Vice as not just a story about a car crash that sets off all these unintended consequences for the people involved, but a story about modern India, uh, about corruption and power and abuse of power. So that was um, definitely an influence. Also, Svetlana Alexievich, the Belarusian writer, journalist's uh, book, Secondhand Time, um, nonfiction but just the way she kind of weaves together all these voices that are talking about the the effects the psychological effects and the after the breakup of the Soviet Union the ruptures and that it caused um I I often think of that in terms of what happened to India in the last 30 years and the ruptures it caused um after, you know with its transition to a capitalist economy and and how to sort of weave all of those themes into a kind of thrilling piece of fiction. So, so those two books really helped me think about my themes and my work. Age of Ice is the first book of a trilogy that you're writing, but it's such an epic in itself, so vast in its depiction of modern Indian history and culture. I wondered where your storytelling might take us in the future. Book one, it kind of starts at the start of the millennium. I mean, even though we went with 91, but really we're, you're dealing with the first few years of um the millennium and then we book two and three will will keep going further into the years and you'll see how well india north india has changed all the riches all the the suffering um you know the new middle class the increase of the billionaire class that we are witnessing world over but you know that's really happening in india extreme inequality um, all of that um, and the characters that um, I'm 
basically wasn't done with their lives um, when I got to writing the end of this one I realized that I'm not done with the world I'm not done with the characters and then came up with the idea of doing it over three books well that's a wonderful world you've created and it's an eminently readable book too which is always a great thing and Deepti Kapoor thank you so much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast oh Greg it's, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you thanks for having me I've been talking to Deepti Kapoor about her new book Age of Vice it's published by Fleet and you can find it at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. Subscribe to Good Reading Print and Online Magazine at goodreadingmagazine.com.au.